you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, last week, we introduced our new series on the subject of prayer. And at the conclusion of the message last week, I issued a couple challenges. A, that you would begin making your prayer time with God the number one non-negotiable of your life. And that you would... Um, that you would do that by establishing a set time and place where you would earnestly seek God on a daily basis. And B, uh, I challenge you to use Jesus' teaching on prayer, which we looked at last week. Most of us are familiar with it as as, uh, commonly known as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. But I, I challenge you to use Jesus' teaching on prayer as an outline and to also use the prayers of Paul that we looked at in the um, some of his letters of Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians, uh, and start praying those for yourself. Just kind of switch the personal pronouns out for like me and I and those kind of things. How many of you did that this week? Okay, some of you. That's that's good. Keep for those of you who did, keep up the good work. For those of you who didn't, don't be discouraged. We're just getting started. Okay. Um, as I mentioned last week in this series, we are. Um, going through this uh, prayer, commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew 6, and we're working through that as an outline. Um, And each week, we're going to work to equip you more and more with what you need to have a rich and meaningful prayer life. There's no question that pursuing a uh, rich prayer life is one of the more difficult pursuits in this life. But, it is unequivocally the most rewarding pursuit in this life. Bearing rewards not only for this life, but for the life to come. Therefore, it is something that we can no longer neglect and just set aside. We must make it the most important non-negotiable of our lives. Now, for those of you who were here last week, <clears throat> excuse me, who can tell me what is the most critically important element to prayer faith exactly faith is the most important element of prayer to relate with to converse with to trust a god that we cannot engage with our senses requires faith and scripture tells us that faith is what pleases him. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him, pause right there for just a second. Um, see, since we can't come to him in a physical sense, how do we come to him? Your prayer, exactly, right? So that word comes to him but that phrase comes to him could very easily be praise to him, right? Because um, that's the only way in this world that we can come to him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, interestingly, interestingly enough, when Jesus started teaching us how to pray, he sort of prefaced his actual teaching and pointed to this issue of faith, and he basically said the same thing. In Matthew 6, beginning of verse 5, he says this, When you pray, 
Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. See, it takes absolutely no faith to pretend to pray to God when your actual motive is only to be seen by other people, right? Um, Your faith in God being there, hearing you, and rewarding you is not engaged in the slightest bit when your purpose and motive for praying aloud is so that other people can hear you pray, right? And if that's your motive, then Jesus tells you that's the only reward you're ever going to get, knowing that they heard you. It does, however, require faith to go into a solitary place, pray privately to your Heavenly Father, and trust that He is there, that He hears you, and that He will make good on His promise to reward you. Faith is the the most critically important element to prayer, for without it, you're just wasting your breath, right? Right? The second thing we discover, and we talked about this last week as well, is that as Jesus teaches us, begins to teach us how to pray, Jesus warns us not to pray repetitive prayers, hoping to garner God's attention. He goes on in verse 7, When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered by merely repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. So Jesus is pretty clear that this prayer that he is about to teach us was not meant to be a prayer that we just keep repeating over and over again, right? So if it's not meant to be repeated like that, then obviously it's more of an outline for us. A list of things that we should pray, and perhaps even an order in which we should pray them. And so that's the outline that we're going to follow over the next several weeks. We're going to take a close look at each of the seven parts of this prayer and allow Jesus to teach us how to pray the way that God wants us to engage him. Um, So with those understandings that we engage God in prayer with faith and that prayer, this prayer that Jesus teaches us is not just a prayer to be repeated over and over, Jesus then begins to teach us to pray. Verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now today we're going to look at the first part, the first section of this prayer, which is our Father in heaven. And to sort of set up where we're headed, I thought we would play a fun little game. And we're we're calling this game, How Well Do You Know Your Pastors? All right, let's see how well you guys do. I have some questions here, or some some facts, about our staff pastors 
And I want you guys to try and guess, okay? First one is this. He was the center on his high school or his uh, freshman basketball team. Johnny, Reichen. It is? Ryan. <laughs> the shortest one of the group. <laughs> um, number two. Um, when he was dating his now wife, his grandmother, who's a pastor, meant to pray for uh, fire in his bones, but instead prayed for fire in his loins. <laughs> Who do you think that is? Yeah, that's pretty easy, right? That's Johnny. <laughs> All right. He was born in Oklahoma. Nope. It was Ryan. <laughs> yeah, nobody knew that one, did they? Um, how about this one? He was arrested twice. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> okay, I must have told that story. <laughs> Yeah, that was a long time ago, before I knew Jesus. Um, in high school, his best friends called him Iron Man. Ryan, Ryan, Johnny, it was, ha <laughs> Not because I was strong, it was, um, I think it was sort of an anti-name, because I was the shrimp of the high school, Okay. I think they were trying to build me up. Because my, my, not only my friend, my best friends called me that, not anyone else, so. Um, okay. Um, he wants, he wants pants someone at church. You know what that means? You sneak up behind them and pull their pants down. He once did that at church, and the person he did that to did it to him, but he was going commando that day. <laughs> It was? Yes. It was Johnny. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, there we are. I think I'm missing some. Oh, there it is. His middle name is Keith. <laughs> yeah, my daughter's. <laughs> yeah. The rest of you probably didn't know that, did you? You're all silent, yeah. So, yeah, that was me. Um, let's see, did I get... Oh, I haven't... I didn't... forgot to num- finish numbering these. Okay, so this one... I think I got it in order. This staff pastor was once uh, punched and knocked completely out. No. It wasn't... <laughs> but it was what? How old were you? Selena. <laughs> no, I think you said it was third grade? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, this is the last one, right? Um, this one, this step pastor, his mom slapped him at church. Yeah, he's told that story, hadn't he? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what does that have to do with our message? Um, when you read this phrase, our Father in Heaven, 
it would be really easy to overlook the importance of this phrase as just identifying who we're addressing in our prayer, right? Like, like much like I would say, Ryan, would you please turn up the volume of my microphone, right? But this is far more than just identifying whom we're speaking to. This phrase is the foundation of our prayer life, and it drastically informs how we pray. See, Jesus isn't just introducing, or he's not introducing us to, like, the art of prayer. He's introducing us to the God of prayer. When it comes to prayer, we have to know the nature and the character of God. We have to know what moves him and what pleases him. I mean, if we didn't know that faith pleases God, would we even try to exercise faith when we pray? Probably not. We'd probably be standing around just to make sure we were seen by each other, right? God, our Father in heaven, has to be the starting point. That's why Jesus begins his teaching on how to pray with this phrase, Our Father in heaven. It's not just addressing whom we're speaking to, it's beholding God in all of his glory. See, if he's not the starting point of our prayers, then who becomes the focus? We do, right? If he is not the foundation of our prayer, then all of our perceived emotional needs, all of our entitlements, all of our pettiness will become the drivers and the focus of our prayer, which is pretty pathetic prayer, to be honest. See, we shouldn't just decide how to pray based on the feelings and experiences that we're looking for. Instead, we should do everything possible to behold our God as he is. And rich and meaningful prayer will follow. And this is where understanding who you are in relation to God uh, comes into play. And honestly, understanding who you are in relation to God is just coming to him in humility. It's knowing who he is and who you are. But there's, it, it's so much richer than that. See, the more you know about who you are in relation to him, the richer and more meaningful and more powerful your prayer life will be. It all begins with, with knowing how we are even able to have a relationship with God in the first place. I mean, how is it that, that we, insignificant, sinful human beings, can even come to God, the creator of the universe, in, in faith, much less call him Father? It's all because of Jesus. Jesus paid the price to give us a father-child relationship with God Almighty. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5 says this. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. So the great news of the gospel is that Jesus came to fulfill the commands of the law. And for those of us who place our trust in Jesus, his righteousness is credited to us. And 
he fulfilled the demands of the law levied against you because of your sin, and he stood in your place and died the death you should have died. That's how a holy God can adopt us as his very own kids. Jesus paid the price for our sin and for our righteousness. Then last week we talked about this amazing event recorded in Matthew 27 where Jesus was being crucified. And uh, that when Jesus took his last breath on the cross, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. The moment Jesus breathed his last, the moment Jesus died for the sins of the world, God literally ripped the curtain in two, signaling the beginning of a new covenant which anyone who places their faith in Jesus can walk right into God's presence. Hebrews 10 tells us about this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Have you ever read the beginning of uh, um, Revelation, where John gets the revelation of God in, in heaven? And it's this incredible picture through this spiritually because of what Jesus did we can walk right into heaven's most holy place we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus by his death Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So, through the ministry of Jesus, we have unrestrained access to our Heavenly Father. I mean, just think about the contrast between what we have and and like Moses, right? He couldn't even look at God or he would die. God had to set him in in, in a cleft of the rock and he could only he could only glance at God as he was passing by. We get to walk right into his presence because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus paid the price for us to have a relationship with God and to have free, to freely have access to him. I mean, do we dare take that for granted? Yet I fear that we all have at some point, right? I think we've all not acknowledged that and just sort of taken it for granted. But how much more meaningful and rich would our approach to be approach to God be understanding that we are walking into the most holy place, standing before the all-powerful God, God, and it was because of Jesus' sacrifice that we are able to do so. But that's not all. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to call God our own personally intimate father. Galatians 4 goes on in verse 6 and says, And because we are his children, God has sent 
the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is an Aramaic word for father used by Jesus and by Paul to address God in a relation of personal intimacy. Most of us are familiar with Paul's usage of it, um, but we might not be familiar that Jesus used it. In Mark 14, we have the most detailed account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and his prayer right before he was arrested and and taken um, to Pilate. Um, And it says in Mark 14, verse 36, here Jesus is praying. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I think it's interesting that in the Greek language, which the New Testament was translated from, and in all the English translations, this Aramaic word, Abba, remains. It's probably because we don't have a word that translates well enough to carry the full meaning of the word. Uh, I mean, the closest word that we have in our language to Abba would be Daddy or Papa. Okay? How many are comfortable calling God Daddy? (laughs) Yeah. Um, See, through our faith in Jesus, we have been adopted by God as his very own kids. And the Holy Spirit makes it possible to address him in a way that is personally intimate. And Romans 8 gives us a little bit more detail on how this is possible. Romans 8, verse 15, says, So you have received a spirit... So, Oh, no. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit, or some translations say his spirit testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit in us makes it possible to realize that we can talk to him and address him as Abba, Father, a personally intimate relationship with God. So, can you see how that understanding might have a greater impact on how you approach God? I mean, rather than simply, you know, saying our Father in heaven and then just moving on into prayer, right? We instead might fall to our knees and say something like, oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving your Son to provide a way for me to enter into your presence. Thank you for your grace that... And, that by your grace and through faith in Jesus that I'm exercising right now, I can actually have a personally intimate relationship with you. I might not be comfortable calling you daddy, but I reach out and I call you Abba, Father, knowing you have adopted me as your very own kid. So I come to you, God, this morning with a humble heart, and I give you all of my heart. See the difference? That's how understanding what 
who God actually is and our relation to him can make our prayer so much richer. And that understanding will continue to inform our prayer as we go on. Um, I mean, how can you how can you go on in prayer and just kind of pray flippantly with that kind of introduction, right? So that understanding that and approaching God that way informs the rest of our prayer. Now, again, for those who, those who were here last week, who can tell me what was Paul's number one prayer for those he loved the most? Anyone remember? His number one prayer for those he loved the most was that they would know God better. We saw it in his prayer to the Ephesians. We saw it in his prayer to the Colossians. We saw it in his prayer to the Philippians. His number one prayer was that they would know God better. Paul understood that knowing God better was far more valuable than praying for changed circumstances. And we even remarked on that, right? He wrote down his prayers in those three letters, and he never once prayed for a, a changed circumstance. That, that their life would be easier, or for healing, or, or for jobs, or, or that, that the Romans wouldn't find them, or you know, whatever the circumstance might be. He never once prayed for a changed circumstance, but that they would know God better. And for we who live in the 21st century, what is the best way for us to get to know God better? What's that? Yeah, his word, right? Um, We are so incredibly blessed to live in the time that we live. To have unlimited access to the scriptures. Through the Old Testament, we see real people having to relate to God through the law. But we, but we have to keep in mind that that was only a partial revelation of God, right? The revelation of God is always progressive, and you can see it all throughout Scripture. Through the gospel accounts um, of the life of Jesus who came to establish a new covenant between God and people... We get to personally know our Heavenly Father because Jesus said in John 14, if you have seen me, you have seen who? The Father, right? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus came to reveal the full nature and character of our Heavenly Father. Then through the book of Acts and through the letters of Paul and James and John and Peter, we get to see real people learning how to apply the things that Jesus taught being corrected when they got it wrong, and growing in their knowledge and understanding of who our Heavenly Father, or their Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Father is. Now, how many recognize that you cannot grow in a relationship with a person unless you take the time to learn who, or she, who he or she is? Yeah, it's simple, right? So God's Word must be the starting point for our prayers. See, without getting to know who God is, our prayers will be very limited and very shallow. And Romans 1 talks about how everyone has the very base knowledge of God, right? He talks about, Romans 1 talks about how God has revealed himself in creation. And if we just look at creation, everyone can see that God exists, right? So for that type of person who's never taken the time to actually 
become acquainted with who he really is through his word, their prayers are incredibly shallow, right? Basically, all they can do is cry out to God for help, right? They have no idea what pleases him. They have no idea what moves him. They have no idea how to pray, right? So, without getting to know who God is, our prayers will not only be very limited and shallow, we can even waste our time praying for things that are disconnected from reality, who God really is. We may even put ourselves in danger of not praying to the real God, but maybe to a God we wish he was like. Right? I mean, history has proven over and over again through countless religions that apart from Jesus' revelation of who God is, we can create a God that doesn't even exist. I like what Eugene Peterson had to say about this in his book, Answering God. He says, left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God we manage to understand. But what is critical is that we speak to the God who speaks to us and to everything that he speaks to us. There's a difference between praying to an unknown God whom we hope to discover in our praying and praying to a known God revealed through Israel and Jesus Christ who speaks our language. In the first, we indulge our appetite for religious fulfillment. In the second, we practice obedient faith. The first is a lot more fun. The second is a lot more important. What is essential in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. See, if we leave the Bible out, then all we're left with is exploring all of our impressions and feelings and imagining God saying various things to us But how can we be sure that we're not being self-deceived? The only way that we can be sure we're not deceiving ourselves is through his word. Immersing ourselves in God's word. God has revealed himself through his word. Thus, our prayers must be a response to his revelation. Now, something that I want to do each week as we go through this series is give you some examples, or at least one example, of prayers from Scripture in accordance with each of the seven parts that we're studying, okay, of the outline outline Jesus gave us. And the Psalms are a great resource for this. A lot of times we just look at the Psalms as songs, but if you start reading them, most every one of them are prayers, Put to songs. They're amazing. Um, And they're just full of incredible encounters with God through prayer. And And one perfect example of this phrase that we're talking about, addressing our Father in Heaven, is Psalm 8. Because it acknowledges who we are in relation to God. It goes like this. O Lord, our Lord... How many of you are uh, Keith Green fans? <laughs> a couple of you. Millennials are like, Keith who? Yeah. <laughs> Keith Green um, wrote a song back in the, 
like 1980, I think. Um, and it's this psalm. It's amazing. You should look it up. Uh, anyway, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over all the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now that was a psalm of David who out of all the people in the Old Testament probably knew God the best. The reason we can make that statement is because God called him what? Man after his own heart, right? But he still only had a fraction of the revelation of God that we have, right? Jesus hadn't come and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They only had, people in the Old Testament only could relate to God through the law. And he was a God of justice. And he was, um, he was, a lot of times they looked at him as, as angry. I mean, there wasn't abounding love and grace and mercy and all that kind of stuff like we have now, right? In this age of grace. Jesus, there was only a partial revelation of God through the Old Testament. Jesus came and revealed the rest of God. So he only had a partial revelation, a fraction of the revelation of who God is that's available through us as we look and see Jesus model and and tell us who God is. So imagine how much more rich this prayer, Psalm 8, can become with that understanding. When you infuse your understanding of who you are in Christ, that Jesus died for you so you could enter into his presence, that the Holy Spirit makes makes you able to call him Abba, Father. For you to take this prayer and infuse those realities with it, how much more rich can your approach to God be? And so I want to challenge you. As you pray... Don't just say, our Father in heaven, and move on. Behold him for who he is. And let that inform your prayer. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in awe. Lord, when we get glimpses, partial glimpses of you in the Old Testament, a God who is all-powerful, a God who is to be feared, a God who is 
really scary. And to still know that you haven't changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. But God, you sent your son Jesus to show us what you're really like. God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us so that we could have a personal relationship with you. He fulfilled the whole law so that his righteousness could be credited to us who place our trust in him. He stood in our place and fulfilled the demands of the law of death for those who break it. He never sinned, but he took our punishment, making it possible for you to adopt us as your very own kids. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to come and live in our hearts and take residence there so that his so that the Holy Spirit can testify with our spirit, yes, we are a child of God. And we can come to you as in that relationship. God, I pray that you would help us to be mindful of these realities as we approach you. That we wouldn't flippantly or casually just approach you, God, but we would realize the price that was paid, the cost for us to enter into your presence. I pray that you would help our hearts to overflow with acknowledgement of who you are in relation to who we are, just as David did in Psalm 8, God. That you would help our prayer lives to become richer and more meaningful than ever. I thank you, God, for these examples in Scripture. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's going to help us to do exactly that.